turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And this week, we are going to cover a lot of ground. All right? And um, just wanted to prepare you guys for that. It's going to be awesome, but there's going to be a lot to digest. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into our study for this morning. Again, Jijo, James, we love you guys, man. Thank you. Can't wait to witness God work powerfully through you guys. All right, let's read. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 to 40. As we were going to the place of prayer, um, so last week, you remember Paul and his team arrived in Philippi um, in Macedonia. And they go to a place of prayer, which is an alternative to a Jewish synagogue. And they meet a lady called Lydia and they share the gospel with her and her and the rest of her family get saved. And this is probably, a, you know, the next Sabbath day or something like that. And so Paul and his team are on their way to the place of prayer. Let's keep reading. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the, the, their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his house on his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. I love that. 
Verse 38. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray because we're going to need it today. God, we need you not just as um, a sentence we say, but God, we truly need you. There are so many moments in our lives and in our day where we become so dependent on ourselves. Um, we just do. But God, you're gracious enough to remind us through circumstances we can't change by our natural abilities or resources. You remind us that we need you. And so God, as we study this incredible true story from the history um, of the birth of your church, God, I pray that you would speak outside of everything I'm going to say. I pray that you would help us be focused. I pray that your spirit will truly capture our hearts and cause us to love and appreciate Jesus more. In his name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. When Jesus was on earth, he displayed his power for all to see. He healed the sick, cast out demonic spirits, made the blind see, made the, made the deaf hear, made the cripple walk, brought a dead man back to life, and exercised unlimited power over nature. These are some of the things Jesus did during his time on earth. And so the question is, if Jesus is no longer physically here on earth, does that mean he's no longer at work? One of the things that makes Jesus the most compelling, intriguing, significant figure in world history is that even after his death, he continues to be alive and at work in our world. As the very first verse of Acts says, everything Jesus did while on earth was only the beginning. The book of Acts, as we've been studying it for like a year and a half now, is basically a historical account of Jesus's continued work, not through his physical presence, but through his spirit in the church. And his work continues to this day and will continue until his return. Um, and as Travis Wax, who's a well-known Christian author, says, he says this, Jesus is as much at work through you in your city now as he was then in the streets of Jerusalem. It's an epic statement. And it's epic because it's so true. Jesus is at work <laughs> through you in San Diego now, through us as a church family in San Diego now, as he was then in the streets of Jerusalem. And once in a while, this is what happens. Jesus displays his power in a way that blows our mind in a way that leaves us speechless. And so in this episode, um, from the life of the early church, we're going to witness Jesus work powerfully. We're going to witness Jesus' power on full display. And I hope as we do, 
we would not only be in awe and be like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Look how Jesus worked back in the book of Acts. We'll be able to say, man, he worked powerfully, powerfully then and he can work powerfully now. And so with the time we've got this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to see how Jesus continues to display um, who he is and his unlimited power um, in and through our lives. And so first, Jesus continues to display his power when he proves his authority over evil spirits. Okay, if you're making notes, Jesus continues to display his power when we see him prove his authority over evil spirits. Look at verse 16. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And so, as we've said, Paul is currently in Philippi. Um, it's another Sabbath day, and they're on their way to the place of of prayer okay and remember last week place of place of prayer um, was an alternative for a synagogue right in Philippi and you remember last week also that when they went to that place of prayer they met a lady called Lydia and they were able to lead her to Christ and she actually became the first convert in Philippi now on their way to the place of prayer something interesting happens they meet an unusual individual. She's identified as a slave girl who has a spirit of divination. This spirit of divination, okay, if you were to do some research, is actually a demonic spirit that doesn't torment her, okay, but seems to give her psychic abilities um, to predict the future and because of this you can imagine she's in high demand okay she's in high demand she has psychic supernatural powers she can predict the future and everyone wants to know what their future holds and so she's in high demand and because of her popularity she's a money-making machine but sadly, none of the money she makes comes to her because all the money she makes goes to her owners. She's made them a lot of money. For years, she's been their slave, and what they've been doing is exploiting her for their own financial gain. And so for several days in Philippi, there's young slave girl who's possessed by demon who has these psychic abilities has been following Paul and his team everywhere they went and as annoying as that is okay right as annoying as that is it gets even more annoying because as she follows them she keeps saying and keeps yelling out loud these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation now think about this for a moment. Imagine if that ever happened to you, okay? Where you're kind of going about your daily business in San Diego, and then suddenly this individual, kind of unusual, pops up out of nowhere one day, follows you everywhere, and starts to say, this person is a servant of the Most High God, who proclaims to you the way of salvation. And so my question is, how would you respond to that? Would you go, yeah, man, that's me. I'm a servant of the Most High God. And yes, I'm on mission to proclaim salvation. How would you respond to that? I think I would be okay with it. But the longer it goes on, I'll kind of be annoyed with it for several reasons. It's just annoying, okay? Just annoying. Um, but let, let's look at how Paul responds to this. Like, Paul, it's an interesting response. Paul is extremely annoyed by her. And you think to yourself, why is he 
feeling that way about because she's telling the truth isn't she that's absolutely true this is who Paul is and this is what they're about and so why does Paul get annoyed with her there are several reasons we're not told in the text exactly why but it looks like um, in the past a tension like this has got Paul and his team or any missionary in a lot of trouble it's just brought them unnecessary attention okay if you remember when Jesus was alive on earth this similar thing happened to him he would meet people that were possessed by demonic spirits and they would rightly so um, identify who he was um, and Jesus again you know most of the time was just like be quiet or he would cast out the demonic spirit to keep them quiet um, and so maybe the attention just don't need this attention right now but I think the reason why Paul was upset is this that in those days remember they're in Philippi and in that context the Philippians had um, their own understanding of who God is okay and so by hearing the term most high God most people in Philippi would interpret that um, as a god like Zeus or some other god who is kind of the god of all the gods okay the other thing is when they heard the idea or the term salvation they didn't think of it like we do like Jesus Christ the Messiah saving people from their sins they kind of viewed salvation um, as something that happens to someone, something that um, saves someone from destruction into prosperity. Okay, and so Paul's probably annoyed because just don't need that, or this whole idea of them, you know, the Most High can be misinterpreted. And so it's not long before he runs out of patience. And so one day he turns to her and look at verse 18, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour, just like that. In the name of Jesus, this girl is no longer enslaved um, to the evil demonic spirit that gives her the ability to tell fortune, to fortune tell. She's now free. So much we can learn about this encounter. But one thing I want to highlight is this. This story displays Jesus's authority over spiritual forces of evil. As we endeavor, okay, to be on mission with Jesus in San Diego, we must never forget this, that Satan and demons are real and they're working behind the scenes waging war against God's work now if you've been a Christian for a while I'm guessing by us bringing up the topic of spiritual the spiritual world and spiritual forces of evil and demons and Satan it, it, you're kind of uncomfortable some of you are like I, I've been hot it's hot out here but I, I'm I'm burning up now and I don't think the reason why you are kind of uncomfortable is because this is all spooky it could be and it just freaks you out I don't think that is the reason why you're confused I think when we talk about the idea of demons and the spiritual world, the reason why we're confused is that questions, certain questions come to mind. Like, are even demons real? Or, if they are real, do they actually exist and operate in the same way they did in Jesus' time? And the other question is, big question I often think about is how do we know if someone is truly demon possessed or not these are some of the big questions that just just confuse us about this whole topic
it's helpful to remember that even though there is much confusion surrounding this Satan and demons and evil spirit, that doesn't mean they don't exist. In our beautiful city of San Diego, all right, there are real people who are possessed by real demons. Demonic spirits are working behind the scenes in an effort to advance the kingdom of darkness. This is the reality that we're living in. All right? Like forces of Eve demons, not just a Hollywood thing. It's not just a Bible thing. It's not just, oh, uh, you know, when we close the Bible, that was then. But spiritual forces of evil are actually at work in our city, waging war against the advance of the gospel. And ever since we planted this church, okay, like my, my family and I, leaders, individuals in our church have experienced or encountered demonic activities. Although demons are real, this is what we have to always remember. Jesus has complete authority over them. When Paul looked at the slave girl and commanded the spirit to come out, okay, you remember what he said, right? Do you remember? He said this. He, he didn't command her to come out in his own name, like, I command you in the name of Paul. He didn't do that. He commanded um, the, the evil spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. In doing this, he's reminding us that Jesus is the only one that has complete authority and power over Satan and his demons. The idea of authority is interesting, okay? And as a father, I experience my authority in my house often. And this is how it happens. One of my little girls will come up to me, all right, and say, Dad... So-and-so is annoying me. Can you tell them to stop? Once I was like, why don't you tell them yourself? But it makes sense because in that house, she can't tell her because she's not going to listen. But when daddy arrives, whatever daddy says goes. Just an example of authority. And so when we think about the, the demonic spirits and evil spirits and that, and us trusting and believing that Jesus has authority, that's kind of how it works. Satan and demons are real and powerful and doing all they can to drag God's good creation back into chaos, darkness, and death. But Christ has conquered Satan in his work on the cross. So, as we seek to be a church family on mission with Jesus, all right, let's be aware of the reality of demons, but even more aware of Jesus' authority over them. All spiritual powers are subject to Jesus Christ who has supreme authority. Jesus has defeated demons through his finished work on the cross and through his church he continues to defeat and thwart demonic activities in our city and our world. I love what Clinton Arnold says. He says this, evil spirits have not disappeared since Jesus' day. They continue to exist and do all they can to oppose the redemptive work of God in the world. Overcoming them has nothing to do with our own strength, but the power and authority of acting in the name of Jesus Christ.
And so we've seen how Jesus displays his power by proving he has authority over evil spirits. Okay? I wish we had more time on this. But we've got to move on. Second, Jesus' power is on display when he helps people endure suffering. So this girl is free. She's no longer enslaved by an evil demonic spirit. Not only that, she's no longer a slave to the men who have been exploiting her for profit. And so as you can imagine, these men are angry. They are upset because they've just lost a business. And look how they respond in verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And so they're just mad. So what did they do? They dragged Paul and Barnabas and bring them to the marketplace to stand trial before the rulers. And then this is the charge they bring against them. Look at verse 20 and 21. They say, this is the reason why these guys are here, okay? These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Does that sound like what happened? Well, you could say, kind of they're generalizing, but that's just not what happened. They haven't mentioned anything about, yeah, like we had this slave girl who was a psychic and she was making us a lot of money and these guys showed up and cast the demon out of her. No, they've just showed up at the magistrates and they've just very much like, hey, like these guys are troublemakers. And what, whatever they've been doing, it's been against our practices and customs, customs as Roman citizens. And so they've just fabricated the truth. But, unfortunately, their plan works. Um, they are able to get what they want. The judges who are overseeing this whole case believe them. They don't even bother investigating or holding a trial to... Um, figure out what the truth is. They completely believe the slave owners. And so in verse, look at verse 22, look at what happens next. Um, it says, the, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And so just bear in mind, we're going to go on to talk about the jailer. And so this jailer who is overseeing these prisoners has been ordered to do whatever he needs to do in his power to prevent these men from escaping from jail. It's a big responsibility. Um, and so he's very much like, I know what I'm going to do. Look at verse 24 tells us what he did to keep them extra secure. So he received, and so having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so what he does here is, I'm gonna put them in the most secure part of the prison, right? It's a maximum security cell, and this will work. But also what I'm going to do is also fasten their feet in stocks. And this will work. This will do the wonders. They ain't going anywhere after this. It's now midnight. Paul and Silas find themselves in a dark, cold prison cell. Um, they are unable to lie down because, like, being fastened to a stock meant you had to kind of stand up, okay? Remember, they just went through a severe beating. Uh, and so you can imagine they are bloodied and they are sore um, and they are highly uncomfortable. And even in this situation, it's just amazing how they respond. They don't talk about how they're going to escape. They don't complain. Instead, they respond to their suffering in the most surprising way. 
Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. It's like, unbelievable. They've just been mistreated. They've just experienced severe beatings and been put in jail, in maximum security jail, and here they are singing hymns and praying to God. In recent weeks, if you've been with us, we've just emphasized the need for us to be on mission with Jesus in this city. All right, we've been going on and on about we're a church family and we're not just here to be introverted, but we're a church family and we're here to be on mission. That is our primary calling. We're here to make disciples on and on and on. San Diego, stunning city. Amazing. But if we were to look past the blue skies, the chill vibes, the majestic ocean, what we'll see is that San Diego is spiritually and socially broken and desperately needs Jesus for healing. This is the reality of the city we're living in. There are hundreds of thousands of people in this city who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore are lost. There are many souls in this city that are restless and they will never find rest until they find their rest in Jesus. They just are. That's the reality. And so as a church, from the very beginning, and especially in a recent week, we've been studying Acts. And as we study Acts, we've been challenged to have more of a visible presence in this city. And we want to be visible so that we can have opportunities to share the gospel with more and more people. That's what we've been about. But what we often forget when we're thinking about being on mission, is that the more the gospel spreads and the more the gospel impacts lives, the more we're likely to experience persecution. All right? In the name of Jesus, Paul exorcised a demonic spirit from a girl, making her free from exploitation and as a result, what, what happened? What happened? They got beaten and put in jail. And so, as we become even more passionate about the fame of Jesus in this city, let's not be surprised if people hate us and begin to do everything they can to make life more difficult for us. Can we be real? Like seriously, like the other day or on Saturday morning, I was putting up our signs. You guys have probably seen our new signs in this area. And every time I put them up, I'm kind of adjusting them so that they, they're in the right position. And I got in my car and I'm like, what, are, what am I doing? Like, if God wants someone to get saved, they will see that sign. Anyway, open, whatever. And so I'm thinking about that. And then I think about, man, it's exciting that we have opportunities to put our signs up everywhere so that we can be more of a visible presence in this city. And hopefully someone will see it and be compelled to come to church and all of that. And I'm thinking about all of this and I'm like, man, this is awesome. But the reality is, the more visibly present we become doesn't mean we're only going to see people saved and baptized. But the more we advance the gospel in this city, potentially we're going to experience hardship. 
as modern day followers of Jesus living in San Diego, we're unlikely to face the same level of persecution Paul and Silas experienced. But the truth is, as we work with Jesus to make disciples in this city, we will encounter trials and opposition. Not everyone is going to like us because who Jesus is and what he demands can be extremely offensive to people at times. The good news of the gospel not only makes people glad and rejoice, the good news of the gospel at times makes people really mad. And for some of you, maybe the fear of opposition and trials may be why you've kind of keep it, kept your relationship with Jesus hidden. Maybe why you're not as um, active in sharing the gospel because you're like, man, I don't want to mess up a relationship. I don't want to get involved in sharing the gospel and, you know, on all these trials. Like, uh, uh, maybe it's that. But let me encourage you to not allow the fear of suffering to weaken your passion for the fame of Jesus in this city. Let's not allow the possibility of trials to stop us from sharing the gospel, but let's trust that even under severe suffering, even when family disown us, even when we lose our jobs, even when friends unfollow us and we are hurt, disappointed and suffer because of Jesus, he will help us endure. He will, in ways that we cannot understand, give us the ability to enjoy suffering for his name. Why can we trust Jesus to help us endure suffering? Because Jesus, the suffering servant, has been down the road of suffering and he has promised to be with us by his spirit when we suffer because of him. With Jesus, we can face troubles with courage and faith, knowing that God will even use um, those tough moments in our lives to bring glory to himself so that many may come to know him. It's the hope we have. We're going to see some awesome things, all right? We're going to continue to see God work powerfully. All right? It's going to be exciting. But we're also going to encounter some hardships as a result of our desire to make Jesus famous in this city. So far, we've seen how Jesus continues to display his power by proving his authority over evil spirits and by helping his people endure suffering. Lastly and quickly, Jesus continues to display his power by rescuing those in the pit of despair. In other words, Jesus displays his power when he rescues and redeems people on the brink of destruction. And so as Paul and Silas choose um, to praise God with singing in the midst of suffering, we see God respond in the most unexpected way. Verse 26 talks about an earthquake erupting. And that earthquake ends up not only causing the foundations of the prison to rumble and shake, but it opens every prison door and unlocks the chains of every prisoner. This natural disaster it wakes up everyone. Of course it does. It wakes up the jailer. And look at verse 27. Look how the jailer responds. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, 
he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. We don't know the name of this jailer, but what we do know is that he was given a big responsibility to do everything in his power to prevent the prisoners from escaping. But he's in a nightmarish situation right now because he's just woke up to discover that he's failed. The, the prison doors are open and he is absolutely overcome with dread. He's failed miserably. And he's about to face devastating consequences because being a Roman soldier, the penalty for allowing a prisoner to escape was death. And so right now, his, you can imagine, his head is spinning. Emotions are all over the place. Surprise, grief, fear, confusion, anger, doubt occupy his mind. And as he considers the upcoming trial and um, death penalty, he's very much like, look, I, I, I would rather die now than face the embarrassment and ridicule of a failed Roman soldier. And so driven to despair, what does he do? He, he decides to take his own life. He's going to be sentenced to death anyway. And so why wait for someone else to do it when he can do it himself right now? So what he does, likely, is that he stands to his feet this is all possibly positions the tip of his sword directly under his belly. And as he gets ready to lean on his sword, he hears someone scream. Look at verse 28. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer stops possibly throws his sword to the ground, storms into the maximum security cell where Paul and, and Silas are, and out of fear and reverence and confusion, he falls down before them, and after everything he's seen and heard, he has one question for Paul and Silas, and that question can be found in verse 30 and 31. What does he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, Paul and Silas say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That very day, this jailer decides to follow Jesus. His, his life has changed. He's, he's now restored and he chooses to get baptized to express his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Every time I read this story, I am amazed by a lot of things, all right? There's a lot going on in here. But I'm especially amazed by Jesus' display of grace and power to save an individual who was moments away from taking his own life. And guess what? Jesus is still gracious and powerful enough to save anyone, even those who are deep in the pit of despair and this truth is needed more than more now than ever because just because of 2020 
and the devastation of the pandemic. I, I mean, COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on our healthcare, okay, on our economy, on our government, on our families, and it's definitely the cause of our recent mental health crisis. Anxiety, depression, suicide rates are at an all-time high. They just are. You, you, you go, you search, you see it. The pandemic has definitely driven many more people to despair than ever. And so the reality of Jesus' power and grace and love to rescue and restore is needed more than ever. All right? Um, this means this, that no matter how messed up someone is, no matter how self-destructive their behavior is, no matter how addicted they are, no matter how much they've blown it, no matter the severity of their mental illness, no matter how life-threatening their health has become, no matter who they are and how grim their situation is, Jesus is able to deliver them and restore them. It is never too late for Jesus to display his power and might to rescue and restore. In a space of this size, there are possibly, there's a chance that there are individuals here who are going through a tough time. Alright? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. You may be here this morning, you may be watching online, you may be listening to this at a later time on our podcast. And, and, and you, have, you, you are in the pit of despair. And you are in despair because you look at the world and the brokenness of this world and the evil in this world. All of this has made you hopeless. And you're done. Okay, you're, you're done. And like the jailer, you are on the brink. Just as Paul in this story cried out to the jailer not to harm himself, I want to do the same. Our church family wants to do the same. We want to say, hey, don't harm yourself. God has me in your life at this very moment to remind you that in Jesus you can have hope for better days. And so for the rest of us as a church family, as we continue on mission with Jesus, let's not give up pointing people to the redeeming love, grace, and mercy that is available for everyone everywhere who believes in Jesus. Always a need for Jesus, there just is. But I can't think of a better time where the need for Jesus is so significant. And so as a church family, let's, let's love and live for Jesus, okay? And part of that is by praying and pursuing and seeking opportunities to share who Jesus is 
and what he's done for us. This morning has been heavy, okay? I warned you guys. But we were reminded of this, that Jesus is awesome and he continues to display his power by proving his authority over evil spirits, helping his people endure suffering, and in an amazing, gracious way, rescuing people who are deep in the pit of despair. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good and you are great. So I pray that as we've gained a glimpse of who you are and what you're able to do, may it cause us to grow to love you more and may it inspire us to be even more passionate about your fame in this city. Thank you so much. You are good. And so God, I, I pray for anyone in here who is struggling. God, you know where they're at you know what they're going through you know what's causing them the pain and the hurt that they're going through and so God I pray that you would be gracious and that you would rescue and redeem thank you so much in your name we pray amen